we think about women's health as care for 51% of the population, it needs to include physical, mental, reproductive health care. It needs to be virtual and in-person. It needs to be accessible. It needs to be a collaborative, integrative care model, rather than saying, let's reverse engineer women's health to match to residency programs or CPT codes or the way the traditional healthcare system is designed, which is one size fits, which we all know isn't serving women and many other populations. What's the future of health? Join doctors Jessica Shepard, Gotham Gulati, and myself, Jordan Schlain, as we embark on a conversational journey with prominent speakers, experts, and innovators from the stages of the annual health conference. The goal is to explore the ideas that put humanity at the front and center of our evolving healthcare system. After all, health is about people, isn't it? Hi, I'm Dr. Jessica Shepard. On today's episode, we bring you Carolyn Witte, where we discuss the future of women's health. Carolyn views it as her mission in life to fight healthcare inequalities that women face. She is the co-founder and CEO of TIA, the modern medical home for women treating women holistically as opposed to by body part or life stage. TIA's whole woman, whole life care model views as gynecology, primary care, mental health, and evidence-based wellness services to treat women comprehensively. So with that, let's begin the conversation. We are here again for our health official podcast, where we are bringing you the best in innovation and technology and how that really interacts with patients' care, patient outcomes, and what we can see today and also in the future. So today I have my amazing co-host with me. We have Jordan Schlain and Gotham Galati. Hi, guys. Let's do this again. We are excited to bring you amazing guests who really approach the forefront of medicine, healthcare, wellness in the ways that they think differently, how they break the ceiling, and also at the end of the day, want to impact patient care. So today we have Carolyn Witte with us, who's the co-founder and CEO at TIA, and she is going to be giving us a breadth of information when it comes to women's care, which is very special to me as a gynecologist. And we are going to see how her scope in the modern medical home for women and blending in-person virtual care services, which is the whole woman, whole life care model that fuses gynecology, primary care, mental health, and evidence-based wellness services to treat women comprehensively. Thank you for joining us, Carolyn. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Jordan, you know, you had brought up right before we start taping today, your scope on how you practice, but gynecology in that space as well. What would you say you have seen change over the course of your practice when it comes to women's health? I think as a primary care doctor, it's you're taking care of the whole person, whether they're a man or a woman. But because the field of gynecology and women's health is getting far more sophisticated and knowledge, we felt like women's health from a primary care standpoint, you almost can't keep up with it. You actually need to find that like is steeped in the literature, the trends, what women want at all stages of their life from girls having their first period to menopause to fertility. There's just the range is vast. We concluded that we needed to find 
and experts and really blend them in with the primary care because doing women's health on its own, absent everything else, once again, we've got another silo. So I know that you're working on blending primary care, integrative care, and GYN care all into one place. So I'm curious, how did it get started? What was the light bulb moment? Yeah, T was very much founded based off my own frustrating experience as a patient. I'm a patient turned founder entrepreneur who built Tia very much to solve my own pain points in the world where like the typical Tia patient, I didn't have a PCP. I didn't know what a primary care was. I I love to to joke that you go ask 10 women on this, do you have a primary care is and see what answers you get. I didn't have an OBGYN who often acts as the PCP for women and come back to whether that's good or bad or the problems there, limitations there, I should say, in a moment. And so found myself uh, in my mid-20s living in New York City, going through my own set of men's healthcare issues, diagnosing myself on the internet, so to speak, and then bouncing from specialists, specialists all over New York, each of whom were treating a symptom, looking at a part, but no one who was looking at me. And the three years later, diagnosed myself with something called PCOS that disorder that one in 10 women have, one of those kind of classic square peg round hole issues. Again, it would take caught between the cracks of the healthcare system that is focused on body parts, life stages, reproductive life events, with no one looking at, at women as people. And this was the aha moment where I actually asked myself, wait, what is women's health? Is it OBGYN? Is it my reproductive organs? Is it a CPT code? Or is it care for 51% of the population who controls 80% of the dollars? And how might we take a step back and fundamentally redefine what is women's health? And then how we architect care models to deliver care for women as whole people. That was really the basis of TIA and where we were born. Through that, we then housed became, okay, if we think about women's health as care for 51% of the population, it needs to include physical, mental, reproductive health care. It needs to be virtual and in-person. It needs to be accessible. It needs to be a collaborative, integrative care model rather than saying, let's reverse engineer women's health to match to residency programs or CPT codes or the way the traditional healthcare system is designed, which is one size fits, which we all know isn't serving women in many other populations. From that aha moment that you had to building the first, I guess you could say, brick and mortar what did you find that interaction with the clinical side of that, maybe getting your first CMO or getting your first gynecologist to be in the space? What was that conversation like? And how, was it difficult or was it pretty easy? What would you say? So it's been quite a journey and it's definitely been challenging. I'm not a clinician myself. And so when I started TIA, when I had that aha moment, my first swing at it was not to say, let's open brick and mortar clinics and let's actually do healthcare services. Um, That was a bit daunting as a non-clinician. I was working at Google at the time, believed a lot in solving the Google for your health problem. And so said, okay, I spent three years Googling my health and diagnosing myself on Reddit forums. Let's give women better health information and then they'll be able to get better healthcare. That was kind of the foundational element of my thesis. And so we built effectively the Google for Women's Health or a WebMD for Women's Health. And we're in squarely the information sort of digital front door space. This product really took off. We had over 200,000 one-on-one conversations with women about their health and really was the you know, foundational set of insights that informed ultimately our care model, care, the way we're reinventing care delivery. But what we found, and I'll get to the doctor piece in a second, was when we would take our app with them and bring it to the doctor's office in the real world. So it was in that waiting room where people would message and say, hey, Tia, 
whatever the deductible can explain my copay. In the exam room was, hey, Tia, which IUD should I get? Post-appointment was, hey, Tia, can you explain my pap test result? And who would answer these? Originally, me and my co-founder sitting in our living That's room in San Francisco. a lot of questions. And then we built out a team of, we called them wing women, which were educators. And we automated lots of them. And it was a human-in-the-loop model that was essentially clinical triage and digital front door, right? That's what we were. But it, the aha moment was, okay, you're in the room with a doctor. And why are people turning this to Tia? We have the thing that no one else has, which is trust and a relationship with women that actually speaks female and translates an healthcare system that's complicated, not designed for women and not serving women's needs. And that information is powerful, but it's 10 times more powerful connected to care delivery. And how might we actually go further and achieve our broader goals of actually improving women's health outcomes by becoming the doctor? So that was the insight that led us to say, okay, we need to not just build for women or users, but patients. And to achieve that, we need to build for providers too. And that's where we really started going after building relationships with providers and bringing them under the fold into our care model and taking that next step in our journey, which was actually getting into care delivery ourselves by building a platform that supports patients and providers alike. I love that you brought up that word before you go, because Jordan's been saying it in so many of our sessions. What's the word? Trust. Yes. Mm. Yeah. This is really my, uh, <laughs> we talked a long time about trust. How do you define trust? Yeah. It's a good question. First, at the highest order, the highest level, I think trust in healthcare is the hardest thing to earn and the easiest thing to lose. And trust can be defined. We look at it through many mechanisms. Trust is part loyalty, sometimes measured NPS and things like that. Trust is where do you turn to first? It's mindshare. Trust is, I would say, demonstrated by so many different behaviors someone, a woman or anyone else demonstrates with respect to where they turn to for care, their frequency that they turn to that provider or system or whatnot. And they're ultimately the way they would talk about that provider, that system, that product when you're not in the room. And that is the basis of trust. When you think about women's health and I would say the deeply intimate aspects of women's care and the fact that everyone, whether it's the Supreme Court or a benefits manager or politicians and doctors, eyeing to control, I think, the decisions women make, I think that trust factor and the imperativeness of trust as a foundational aspect that earns the right to deliver care is that much more important. And we know that 50% of women in this country actively distrust the healthcare system. Good to know. Pre-Dobbs. <laughs> um, so you can only right. imagine what that data point is now. And right. if you don't trust the system, why would you turn to them when the going gets tough for preventative health care? When you go there, why are you going to bring your whole self? Why are you going to engage is, in these offerings? Is, isn't it interesting, though, that you said pre-Dobbs and the Dobbs wasn't the healthcare system's invention, right? I mean, it was a political thing that actually landed on the healthcare system's lap. So what happens is now they're not trusting the healthcare system because they're imputing some responsibility because the healthcare system is now handcuffed and tied by somebody else. And so it makes it even less trusting, even though that wasn't their idea. Absolutely. I think women's health is politicized. It has been. It's always been that way. But just look at the recent midterm elections to understand how this women's health is driving people to the polls, changing, swaying elections. 
it's not a niche, but a central part of our society at large. And I think necessitates thinking about the end consumer of it, women themselves and putting women in the driver's seat. I find it unfortunate that we've even had to come to this place where we have to carve out women's health because it hadn't been paid attention to in the proper manner. And I think what's been interesting is building that trust related back to trust is we're listening to females more, right? They're driving. A lot of the decisions historically have been driven by men in the industry. And I think women are taking a more front row seat and having a better voice and saying, listen, our needs are not being addressed by the existing system. And it's come down to the point where we have to create separate practices that are addressing the unaddressed needs of women in this marketplace. And I think it's like the time has come where the voice who are predominantly making most of the medical decisions for the family and around are driven by women. And we don't necessarily, at least historically, have brought them into the equation and the conversations around how to build an optimal system around that. So I think it's great that uh, Tia has taken a, a different approach to that. I think going, connecting those two dots, it's like, okay, so there's a, often say the healthcare system has a loyalty crisis with its most powerful customer. So women distrust healthcare, who cares? Like, why does it matter? I think there's clinical reasons as to why that's problematic in terms of leaving delays in care, people not using healthcare preventively and, and so forth. And so put that in a bucket of moral imperative, a whole bunch of stuff we could talk about there. But you spoke to something that's really important, which is the economic imperative. Women are not just 51% of the population, but we control 80% of the healthcare dollars. And whether you're a HR benefits manager or a politician or the CFO of a hospital system or health plan, you know that. And women's loyalty matters. It's not just, will women turn to you? Will women buy your health plan or choose your health plan? Or women choose to deliver baby at this hospital? But well, about their family dollars? Women make the, the bulk of the healthcare decisions on behalf of their children, partners, and parents. And women are voting with their dollars too. And this is a narrative that I think the traditional healthcare system and buyers of healthcare have woken up to over the last five years since starting TIA, which puts new, I would say, new type of importance on recentering the healthcare system on women. And when we do that, it's not leaving others behind. It's making healthcare work better for everybody, for women, for families, for communities. I think it's interesting how also we are, we're specializing. So I'm an innovation. Inside innovation, there are paradigm shifts, right? You take a couple steps forward, a couple steps, steps back, and there's this moment of chaos and mess that happens in the process of innovation. And in that, there's an unbundling and rebundling process. So it's really fascinating to see as an industry, the mass unbundling and super specialization we're seeing in certain services, things like clinics just for LGBTQ community or clinics. Obviously, the women clinics is a much larger, but there are other specialized clinics that are entering the space. And I'm curious, as healthcare, we typically, when the pendulum swings, it goes to extremes, right? You almost have to break the whole system and rebundle it back together. But I hear people talking about we're a digital clinic or we're a physical clinic. Now, you've taken the hybrid approach. And I'm curious as to you know, you're almost coming back through into the middle of the pendulum where you're recognizing that some services require or are best served through digital means and other services need to be delivered in person. Can you elaborate in terms of how you guys think about that? Yeah. So first off, I think this concept of unbundling and rebundling is really important and central to TSD set. 
We started the company when there was a rise of point solutions in the women's healthcare category. Companies that can prescribe and deliver your birth control, new postpartum care companies, fertility navigation solutions, all breast pumps, like all every single plethora of new products that each addressed a narrow body part or reproductive life event. And while it's very exciting that there's happening in the women's health category, which has been long been ignored, I think it's also that unbundling, those point solutions, I, in many ways exacerbate the fragmentation that I felt and feel as a patient. So from day one, I've always been in the camp. The question is, when you're in a rebundle, what is it going to look the t- what's almost like the information hierarchy of the new health system. And my perspective is health system is going to be rebundled, or healthcare delivery, I should say, is being rebundled based off of people versus body parts or CPT codes, right? The orientation of the past was specialty-based and body part-based and condition-based. And I believe the orientation of the future is people-based. So there's lots of ways you can slice and dice that. And so for us, the population we're focused on is women, which is massive. And within that category, it's how can we rebundle and best service as many of her needs as possible, which includes physical, mental, reproductive health care. And by definition, that needs to then be delivered through a hybrid model that's virtual and in-person. So we are the anti-point solution. We're the widest product in the category that's all about serving as many women's health needs as possible. Her whole health, for her whole life, really puberty through menopause is where we focus and figuring out how to deliver that not in a Zoom or in-person false binary, but care continuum, right care, right place, right time, and connecting all those moments. So how do you do that unless you're a cash-based system, right? Because you still have to operate, I I believe you guys take insurance. We do take insurance. So it still falls within the constructs of coding and reimbursement based on, on certain parts as well. So how do we move the needle? For sure. So Tia's bread and butter is a focus on core preventive healthcare benefits, things that are 100% covered under the ACA. So think your essential benefits, the your well woman exam. This is probably a perfect example of how we're playing the game that's on the field, but also changing the game. Take a service that every woman should have access to and get every single year, which is your well woman. 100% covered under all plans, including Medicaid, no matter what. That's our bread and butter. We said most people reduce that to a cervical cancer screening, a pap smear, and that's it. An in and out sort of terrible experience that is very reductive and not a pleasant experience for most women. And we said, how do we take that thing that's 100% covered and do more there and make it better? So what we do is we are sort of canonical to your service is called your whole health exam. It's 100% covered under all insurance plans and is a comprehensive physical, mental, and a reproductive health care preventative visit that is delivered through three parts. Part one is done virtually. Typically, the virtual nurse practitioner, which during which we do a health history review, think about you, context of your lived experience in the world, and level up our care to include things like depression and anxiety screening, which is not standard of care in a typical PRGYN well woman. That is baseline for every single person that joins TIA and part of sort of your onboarding and welcome to TIA experience. During that part one of our whole health exam, we also build a care plan based off of your your health goals your life stage, your risk factors, and so forth, and customize any hands-on body care that you may need based off of your age, risk factors, and so forth. So a 25-year-old may need a pap smear, a 65-year-old may need something else, so to speak, right? Then that 
care journey continues in the real world at a physical TIA clinic, which is a retail style clinic that is located close to where women live and work, not in a medical office building on a hospital campus and is very much your doctor's office reimagined from temperature controlled exam rooms to patient reimagined patient gowns to a living room with a learning library that extends our care beyond our exam room walls. This is a medical home that is welcoming and designed clearly with women at the center. You come to TIA, you can not just get physical exams, but things that are also fragmented like blood work and ultrasound and other ancillary services that are really hard to access from pelvic floor physical therapy to acupuncture and more. We integrate all of that and then continue your care virtually after that through lab results reviews, digital virtual consults, care coordination, and many other services that are describe our typical online, offline, online, offline journey. All that entire whole health exam is with your works with insurance and is a way that we're doing more and the ball down the field, so to speak, within the confines of a healthcare system that is very much predicated on coverage to enabling more women to access what we do at T. How much of the care is like when you look at it is in person and virtual? Is it 50-50? Is it 90-10? Today it's 70% virtual, 30% in person. A couple of stats that I think are really interesting. First, the onset of COVID, there was the whole, the doctor's office is dead thing. Virtual care is the future. Very much, obviously, a big big champion of virtual care, but not virtual only. We've since seen, obviously, a massive decline in virtual care utilization across the country, across every demo, except for one, which is reproductive age women, who are the biggest users of virtual care in the country. And TIA's members use virtual care at twice the rate of the typical American woman. And that's part of the way we've actually redesigned the care delivery model. Mental health and behavioral health of us is also That was the next one. So mental health is a large piece of what we do. And so our entire mental health offering, which includes one-on-one talk therapy, a collaborative medication management model that leverages both PCPs as well as psychiatric nurse practitioners, as well as group therapy is all delivered virtually. And so you put those two things together, a focus on reproductive age women and integrating physical mental health and a large percentage of what we do is delivered virtually. Now, early on in your days as an entrepreneur in this field, I know that there were a lot of scrappy moments and wondering how to actually fund the project. When did you start to realize that the message or the passion that you had for women's health and how you approached it with the kind of full aspect of care, when did you notice it start to catch on? Really, after we opened our first clinic in New York City about three and a half years ago, that's when I definitely had the, oh, this is what product market fit feels like. Can't scale. There was too much demand. We had a wait list. It was working so well that it feels like everything's breaking, that kind of thing. But the demand was not just from women. That's when some of the leading health systems in the country came knocking on our door, too, and said, wait, you have this thing that we don't have that we're trying to figure out, which is you have a relationship with the most valuable customer in healthcare, which is women. We want that. We don't have that. What if we could partner with you to broker our relationship with women? And that's really what unlocked the next chapter of TIA, which is taking that medical home model that I mentioned and deepening it even further by not just connecting physical mental health or virtual and in-person sort of retail style outpatient care, but connecting primary and specialty care outpatient to inpatient and partnering with the leading hospital systems in the country to deliver care for women across that full continuum. And that's really where we're focused on today. I am someone who spends all of my day talking to women 
facilitating their care, helping them come up with management plans while still understanding their emotional journey. So that does play a lot into how we come up with decisions. One thing that has happened very recently that has changed the landscape from a gynecology perspective, but also for for women's reproductive rights is the reversal of Roe versus Wade. So what would you say you've maybe seen in that context? For example, if it might be more appointments for your long-acting reversible contraceptives in the form of IUDs or how people consider their health when it comes to reproduction and, and pregnancy versus termination. Yeah, so it's been a really interesting year for Tia because we've taken a bold stance publicly and not just been a pro-choice organization from day one, but actually walking the talk and expanding our scope of practice to start providing medication abortion services within our care model. Really proud to be moving the industry towards looking at early pregnancy termination as just routine health care that is standard of care and should be bread and butter primary care accessible to every American woman. Why it's been a complex year, one where we see a tragic step back for women's health, but also a big opportunity for a a new model is our mission is to change how we think of women's health from not just a positive or negative pregnancy test or body part, but to whole person care. So we didn't set out to abortion care, but to actually say, deliver whole person. But whole person healthcare must include reproductive healthcare, things like long-acting reversible contraceptive, IUDs, implants, these types of things, other things that cannot be delivered on the internet that we deliver day in, day out in our practice, but also access to safe, legal, high-quality termination services, whether that's a pregnancy loss, miscarriage, or abortion, and so forth. And so our view is you can't separate them. It's all one and the same. We are whole people. And the ways forward in this post-Dobbs world is to use this as an opportunity to put forth a new framework for women's health care, one that is not one that is inclusive of but not limited to abortion. And that's what we've been really focused on. And what we've seen from women is women really champion that. Women join TIA not for abortion, but for whole person care. Women don't join TIA for a pap smear. They don't join TIA for a therapist. They join TIA because of our integrative care model, because of the sort of the opportunity, the uniqueness experience of being treated as a person and not a And that fact that we provide access to medication abortion services, that we are that trusted place that women can go, if that is something that is, occurs in one of our patients' lives that they need access to, we're there. And that is really critical part of our value proposition that really differentiates us from other players' space, whether it's their women's healthcare players or obviously traditional primary care offerings that don't typically provide these types of solutions. And so what we've seen is more women joining TIA with alignment in values, in trust that is increasing because of our willingness to walk the talk and knowing that we are the whole person solution inclusive of but not limited to their reproductive health that can support them no matter what. So looking forward, are there uh, holding you back? Like what are some obstacles in the way? What if you could have a wish list of clearing things out. There's no shortage of obstacles for any care delivery company, especially so a women's health care company. Yeah. There is the state-by-state state legal dynamic that we're navigating. It's post From the telehealth standpoint? Or from, from, I mean, there's telehealth aspects to it, but particularly when it comes to reproductive health restrictions, being a 
the laws have changed. We're in Arizona. The laws have changed four times since we opened our clinic less than a year ago. So there's day by day challenges on the ground in terms of how we deliver access to services and protect our patients and providers. So I would say clarifying the regulatory environment is really essential to enabling solutions that are so, so critical to scale. So that's one big piece. That seems like it's going to continue to be a moving target. (laughs) Moving target for sure. With risks come opportunities uh, for innovative solutions. And again, we've been at the forefront of that when it comes to medication, abortion, virtual care, primary care, and so forth. The second is continued investment in the women's healthcare category. She's very proud to, you know, we raised $100 million Series B last year. They're the largest single private financing going into women's health in history. And women's health is on the map now, which is very exciting. I think from the, the minds of investors and traditional buyers of healthcare, but we still receive just drop in the bucket when it comes to VC dollars, when it comes to R&D dollars, when it comes to employer dollars and so forth. And so we have a lot more work to do as an industry to matching the economic weight that women as a constituent in healthcare, 51% of the population, 80% of the dollars, $3.3 trillion of spend every single year with investments that make healthcare work better for women. And I think more investments from an R&D perspective from a venture capital perspective in terms of players in the category and from the buyers of healthcare into solutions that make healthcare work better for women are really key to continue to push that narrative forward and to shift our, the way our healthcare system thinks of one size fits most healthcare. I often think of patients who feel, because they don't know the whole backstory of like, women's health from a clinician standpoint or insurance is that they feel as if maybe the clinician is not hearing them. Yes. How have you been able to change that culture and dynamic in Tia? It's a great question. So there's one thing I can say that we do, our, our superpower, our most distinctive quality is that we make women feel heard. You see this in quantitatively in our NPS scores, but you see this in every single TIA review that's, you know, on the internet, which is really around, wow, this is the first time I felt seen, heard, and cared for time and time again. You can't script this type of love letters that we see from women. So why is this concept of feeling heard so distinctive? And why is it, what is preventing most women from feeling heard? I think one thing I have deep empathy for now that I'm in care delivery is that It's not that most doctors don't listen to women or clinicians. It's that they're not set up to do so. You don't have enough time. We can talk about that for a very very long time. We could probably use this whole hour for that. (laughs) I don't have a a good access to or information that contextualize a patient's health history or condition in the context of their lived experience in the world and so forth. There's all, I mean, we could talk about that for a very long time. So it's not that I think what we try to do at TSA Clinicians are not to blame for this problem. It's structural. It's the system. How do we actually build for patients and providers? To make women's healthcare work better for women, we need to make it better for providers. And so for us, that's about changing the care delivery model. It's about giving providers more time. It's about investing a lot in the what we call the lived experience, training all of our providers on culturally informed care, trauma-informed care, these types of body-positive care, these types of things that build that trust that get a woman to walk into a TIA clinic or a Zoom visit and let down their walls and feel heard. You can't feel heard if no one's asking you about yourself as a person in the world. And that is 
what women say about their tea experience time and time again. We are the antidote to medical gaslighting in many ways that so many women feel about their the experiences they have with the traditional healthcare system. And that is the thing that I think we've really focused on above all else since our we opened our first clinic doors, or even before that, when we were answering text messages, questions coming in through a hotline in our sort of early pre-clinic days. And how many clinics will you open? What is the dream? Ooh. So the dream for me is that every woman has access to Tia-style care. And I say that intentionally by saying it's not about a number of clinics. Clinics are a tool. Today, we think of the tool for delivering care. Today, we think about delivering care through chat, video, and retail-style clinics. In the future, I suspect part of that care to be at home and maybe through other means. So maybe in 10 years, there are no clinics. I don't know. But to me, Tia will still be here. We're in the business of making every woman feel seen, heard, and cared for, and ensuring she has access to the highest quality affordable care that centers her. That how we do that will change over time. And for us, it's about continuing to scale and innovate within our own care delivery model and in partnership with the healthcare system more broadly to enable more women to access TIA care with where that place of care, I should say, most likely changing over time. So back to trust really quick, because I think that is, I mean, we, we talked earlier that according to a friend of mine who's a social scientist, wrote a book on trust. Trust is composed of three key components. One is honesty, one is authenticity, and the other one is benevolence. And being in the world of trust, I take care of people too, and I have to provide a place that feels safe and, and everything else is. I've defined trust slightly differently, which is it's the sense of feeling valued the sense of feeling included, and the sense of feeling safe to be vulnerable. If you have those components, and it's kind of like what you said, people feel like they're heard, they hear them. If you're valued and included, that's part of what being heard is. But it's that vulnerable place too, because people go to doctor's offices, and I know what T is probably trying to do is what I'm trying to do too, is you want to make the experience of going to the Apple store the same as going to the doctor store. Right. But in general, the doctor store is the place that you don't want to go, right? right? There's the smell of alcohol. There's all sorts of historical reasons why we don't want to go to the doctor store. But to bring that warmth to it means that people will engage and they'll actually trust it and probably have better results. So I'm glad to hear that like you're sticking with that as your core foundational element because I think as a lot of companies scale, like the risk is that you lose that. And I always say that a, a happy heuristic, but a happy doctor is a happy patient. And if you have an unhappy doctor because they're being ground down in whatever system they're in, it's these patients, they can feel it. And they're there anxious to begin with. And then they see a, someone who's frustrated and grumpy. Trust just vanishes and the system doesn't care. For sure. I think it's... Um I think all of our tools, frankly, for measuring trust, we can talk about quality. What does quality mean? It's a whole other podcast for a very long time. Uh, it's a hundred uh, <laughs> podcasts, by the way. Yeah. Flawed. And we're constantly looking at what are the best proxies to measure this? It's a mix of sort of quantitative tools and qualitative ones. But for me, we've done one thing consistently through every evolution of TIA that we'll continue to do again and again and again. And that's listen to women. We've built our model bottoms up, not tops down. 
you're constantly listening to what real women want and making them not just customers, but shapers and makers of this healthcare system in the future. That's how you build trust. Is you and a great product. And a great, and a, oh, a great service. A great service that is based on what real women want versus a bunch of healthcare executives that don't represent women going into an ivory tower and saying, we know what women want and pushing them on, pushing that on women, which is how healthcare is delivered for 99% of people in this country. And so we, in many ways, build trust through humility by saying, bringing women in on the journey with us by being makers and shapers and being honest when we get it wrong. And it's that evolution. It's, we're not a, it's that journey versus checkbox versus versus a product roadmap. I think that distinguishes us in many ways and has enables women to be vulnerable, to feel a part of something bigger than themselves. I mean, with all the moving pieces in healthcare and all the jargon that we have, we forget that healthcare really just boils down to one thing, story, right? It's a patient or an individual revealing their story to someone else, be a provider or some other healthcare professional. And our job as providers is to listen carefully and utilize the tools are at our disposal to change the narrative of that story and hope for a happy ending, try to get a happy ending. I think the, the concept of storytelling and story sharing is so core to what drives his model from acquisition and engagement, but to the premise of in the exam rooms, right? Everything. Think about one of the first things you built was reimagining your health record, right? So think about the typical piece of paper and on you know, the clipboard or whatever. Talking about reducing a woman's story to like abortion colon number, miscarriage colon like checkbox. Like that's how the healthcare system reduces women's health to these data points. What about the stories behind that? We ask every patient that comes into TIA, first question on our health record is, what does optimal health mean to you? Um, and center every part of that care journey on that own patient's definition. These are mushier questions in certain ways that are rooted in stories and lived experiences of people versus episodes of care. And for all of us as patients, we're, we all are a byproduct of our own stories and our own health journeys, and we're a product that is designed to, to that. I like to say healthcare is a story over time, not a point in time. Most of our innovation is driven around when we enter the system, with the system. Really cool calendar created by Tim Urban. It's a 90 year calendar life in weeks and every little box is like a week of your life. I mean, it's depressing in the sense of where you are on that journey of boxes. But I looked at that calendar and I put a little red box where we engage with our healthcare system. And that's where most of where most organizations are actually addressing with point solutions. And it's early on in life, it's midlife, it's end of life. But the in-between moments are actually ignored. And it's great to see that Tia is looking at the integrative model, looking at the story of the individual and addressing the in-between moments. Rather than a mirror out of symptoms that you can sort yeah. of treat, we say, okay, what's the connection between them? Who's the experiencing them and how do we understand her? Let's start there. And those experiences, when you weave them in with all the other women who come in, it, it really is, does actually make for for better healthcare because there's community involved and there's community and relationship involved. So I think that for me, this was very important to hear because there are so many ways that we want to interact with our patients on a day-to-day -day basis. And we're not given that liberty because of the constructs of, of healthcare in America, insurance, 
what they allow us to do. This does give hope to both the providers and also to patients to see just what you can get out of innovation when you pull away all the barriers that previously have been there. So I think that it's phenomenal what you've done with TN. We're so excited that you would share all of this information with us here on the Health Podcast. That is the touch to medicine. It's the emotional impact of technology and innovation. Most times we're so driven by the numbers and what you can get. But sometimes if we just take a step back and focus actually on the story behind it and the emotion, it does paint very wonderful picture. I like that, the emotional impact of technology. I often say T is not a healthcare delivery company, but a relationship company. That's, that is our business. We're in the business of building and cultivating trusted relationships with women and supporting them throughout their lives. Without that, that's really the foundational element of trust, of continuity that is key for any aspect of diagnosis, treatment, care delivery that we build on top of. We always end our sessions with asking you a little bit personal questions, not too personal. We want to get to know you a little bit more. So for your first question, there are only two, don't worry. What does your morning routine look like? So I am a morning person with a pretty rigid morning routine. I wake up pretty early, usually between 5.45 and 6.15, and I try to do one thing for myself every day before I look at my phone. And that usually is a journaling exercise I do that I'm a big writer and I'm that person that believes take the things out of your head, put them on paper so you can make space for ideas and so forth. And I find that the prompts I give to myself evolve every six months or so or this or that, but it's usually a combination of things in my personal life and things that I need to work on to you that day. And I find it a way that grounds me, both in terms of connection to my work, focusing on the things that matter the most, but also reminding me that I'm a person in the world outside of Tia, which is easy to forget sometimes too. So that's my typical morning routine. Start there and then a lot of caffeine and things like that before email and Slack take over my brain. Through the journey of building Tia, obviously there has been ups and downs, moments when you're like, oh my God, what did I do? What do you think still pushes that drive in you and continues to inspire and motivate you? to the relationship business. It's the people that drive me, the patients, the providers, my own team, my co-founder. We're not building a widget. We're building a company that's in service of impacting human lives. And when I have the bad day, when I have that setback, I go and read a patient review. I go talk to a patient in the real world. I talk to who's motivated to join a mission-driven to change the way healthcare is experienced for women everywhere. And those are the things that keep me going, being oriented around the people that build the people we serve or working to reach. Well, again, thank you so much for joining us. We are delighted to have you here. To my co-host, Jordan and Gotham, thank you so much for always shedding light and being. Thank you. Thanks for having me. That was great. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening. If you're still there, I'm hoping it's because you enjoyed this conversation as much as we did. We will be releasing new episodes regularly. And to stay on top of the hottest topics, simply subscribe to Health Matters. That's H-L-T-H Matters on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to leave us a review. See you next time.